BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off-limits. Hi everyone, welcome to Staying Home with Wit. Today I have a very, very special guest and someone that you definitely must listen to. This is a must listen, you guys. And you may want to get a piece of paper and a pen to take some notes because I am talking to political strategist, Emily Tish Sussman. Emily actually went to college with Timmy and she shares a little fun story about him, but she has been at the forefront of executing strategy for the progressive movement in America for more than a decade. She is a leading democratic political strategist with over 200 appearances on MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, HLN, and CBS, and nearly 100 in the past year. Her views are also frequently featured in national news outlets, including the New York Times, Newsweek, and Politico. Emily is the host of popular politics podcast, Your Presidential Playlist, formerly Your Primary Playlist, a guide to the 2020 presidential election that quickly became a must-listen for those tapped into politics. The podcast features all women guests, including Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, Stacey Abrams, and Cecile Richards. She is also a member of the New York Bar, earning her JD from Benjamin N. Cardozo School of Law. I am so happy to be talking to her and to be able to share this with you. It is so important that we educate ourselves and get out to vote. Here is Emily Tish Sussman. First of all, you know Timmy through what college, right? Yeah, Timmy and I went to college together. We might have been in the same freshman dorm. I'm not sure, but we definitely knew each other through all of college. Yeah. Okay. So you guys first met when you were freshmen in college, not growing up in New York City. No, we did both grow up in the city, but we weren't friends growing up in the city. But then I think it was like through those connections that we found each other, like right at the beginning of freshman year. Yeah. Do you ever remember anything like what Timmy was like in college? Oh, definitely. Oh my God. Tell me everything. Oh yeah. Timmy had some very specific... Quirks. I don't know exactly know how to describe them, but when I think of Timmy living in a dorm, all I can think about is his towel. Like he was very obsessive about his towel. Like if the towel hit the floor, 
he was very upset about it. He couldn't use it again. And so everyone was always like crammed into the dorm rooms and like maybe messing with his towels. Like I feel like Timmy in the towel. Oh my God. Like I, the dorms. That is, <laughs> makes me laugh so hard and is so not surprising. He gets like so anal about some things, but at the same time, I can't really blame him for wanting a, a clean towel in college. Right. I mean, in retrospect, I'm telling you this story. I haven't talked about this in, you know, however many years we've been in college right. at the time. Oh, Timmy is so particular. I mean, our floors were disgusting. Like I, like he probably was in the right. That's the thing is that a lot of the things that Timmy is like very passionate about, like he's right. It's just like the amount of passion people can't like, they see that instead of just what the thing is that he feels is right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I can't believe that I'm now, that I was ever mocking him for wanting a clean towel. I'm sorry. Take this as my apology to him, please. It's totally (laughs) fine. I mocked him a lot. Definitely. (laughs) Oh my God. That's too funny. I can't wait to tell him that. I'm sure he'll remember. Okay. So now you're all grown up, you're a mom and you are very active in in politics, something that I really, really admire. And so I really wanted to take this opportunity, especially as the election is like literally around the corner, just to educate everyone here and to not alienate people, because I think that politics can be a little bit alienating and there's so much to know. Sometimes you feel like there's so much to understand. It can be overwhelming. So I brought Emily on here just to simplify things for us and make sure that we feel educated and then empowered to vote and know that we're being upstanding citizens. So I guess I want to start by just hearing a little bit of your background and what exactly you're up to now. Well, I think if you had asked Timmy when we were in college, if I was going to be a lawyer and political campaign manager, he definitely would have said no, because I was not very focused. And I was maybe a little bit, I was passionate in a way that was maybe alienating to some of my peers. Like I really cared about a lot of things. Like I cared about people feeling like they had a a voice, like they had power in situations, like they could advocate for themselves, but I really didn't know how to channel it. I didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. So right after we graduated college, I went to work for a political campaign. I didn't really, like I didn't know what the jobs were. I didn't exactly know what I was going to do, but I just kind of walked in and they needed jobs and they needed people just to start from the bottom. And so I just started and jumped right in. And all of a sudden I felt like all of these things that I had been doing, I didn't know were skills. So I was good at like keeping the enthusiasm up and like keeping the team moving. That's called being an organizer, right? Like I was good at staying on top of all of the details when there were a million things moving in, the, in a different direction. And suddenly that was being able to manage different portfolios. But none of these things I had felt like were useful to me in an academic setting. Like I didn't really feel like I was good at it. So I definitely come to politics with that perspective of feeling like I want to do right by people. Mm -hmm. I know that people want to do right by themselves, by their community, but that there's so many barriers and there's information barriers. Like we feel like it's so intimidating that we don't even know where to begin. So after that campaign, sadly, we lost that campaign, but it did put me on a different path. I went to law school from there. After law school, I went to go work for Barack Obama's presidential campaign in 2008. And then I spent a little over a decade working on progressive policies and things that I really cared about. So I was the lead lobbyist on the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which allowed LGB members of the military to be serving openly. I worked on the rollout of the Affordable Care Act. I managed the campaign to install the Surgeon General, which was a fight against the NRA and the gun lobby. Um, And so I got to work on these incredible issues with incredible communities. 
but all with things that I didn't really know were skills. Mm -hmm. Like even when I ended up moving from issue to issue, most people in Washington are issue experts. So they are really an expert on the intricacies of healthcare policy or on climate policy. And so I came into each scenario saying, well, you know that. I, I respect the heck out of that. Like, you know that. But I know how to structure a campaign. So I know how to align what are the assets to move something forward? What are the goals we're trying to fit into? What's happening in the news around us? Mm -hmm. um, and so structuring campaigns for different people, for different issues. And so that kind of led me to creating the podcast that I've been doing for the last year and a half. It's called Your Presidential Playlist. And I've really created it as an asset for people who want information and they just don't know how to sort through it. Right. So I thought to myself, well, if I'm going to be getting this information for myself about how to prepare myself for the presidential campaign, I want to share it with people. Yes. So I started kind of, you know, the way that you started, I called up the people that I knew and I said, let's, let's record it and let's release it. So we started by comparing during the, the Democratic primary, we started by comparing the different platforms. So you know, what does Biden stand for? What does Harris stand for? Mm -hmm. And bringing on experts. And what we've been doing over the last couple of months is saying, okay, there's a couple of swing states that are going to decide this election. Everyone talks about Florida. It's Ohio. It's Pennsylvania, right? Like it's the swing states. So let's bring on experts from each of those states to help us understand exactly what's happening in those states, what people are thinking, how has the coronavirus impacted both the economies there, how is it impacted how people are actually going to vote? Mm -hmm. And so we're breaking all of that down with the experts. And the thing that's been really important to me in creating the show is that all of my experts are women for a couple of reasons. One, it's because through all the experts that I knew working in politics and policy, there were so many women who really knew their stuff. Like they were who I would go to, but they weren't always comfortable like championing themselves and saying, yes, I'm the expert in this. So I felt like if I was creating a platform, it had to be all women. For sure. And the other thing is that women are the majority of voters. We are going to be in this election. We have been for the last few elections. We, many elections, we will be in the future. But 70% of political analysis is from men. So it's just a different lens. Right. So if we're going to be getting political analysis, I want to hear about it from the majority. 100%. So I want to hear about it from women. Right. Last week, obviously, so much happened with the election. There was a nightmare of a circus at the debate, and it left everybody, including me, very anxious and sad, to say the least. Trump has obviously now tested positive for COVID, and he's out. And how should we be looking at the situation? Like, how can we stay hopeful? It just feels like there's so much more uncertainty now than there ever has been. It feels scary. I mean, I was watching that debate and thought, is this real? Like this cannot, like how sleep deprived am I? This is actually what I'm yeah. saying. It felt crazy. crazy. And I also kept wondering to myself, like I know that Trump supporters really love that he's aggressive. Are they going to like this? And is this going to empower him? And I kind of assumed that they would, but actually it's turned out to not be the case. So it turns out I can't actually get in the head of Trump supporters. <laughs> Turns out. That's actually a good but, thing. Yeah, I mean, some of them liked it, but it did turn a lot of them off thinking, this is just too much. Mm -hmm. And then I think that the way that he's handled his COVID diagnosis and very clear exposing other people, mm -hmm. you know, a number of people, a lot of people that were in his debate prep that are in the White House are coming out. A lot of people through the top of national security for the country are coming out as 
about being tested positive and being exposed and needing to quarantine, but we're not actually hearing about like the custodial workers, mm-hmm. like the people that are the permanent staff in the White House, mm-hmm. the people who were exposed when they, when they didn't have a choice. Right. And I think that that's going to register with a lot of people to say like, you know, I, I can't imagine if that was my boss. I can't imagine if that was my family member. And so Trump kind of lives by do as I say, not as I do. But I think it scares people. You know, he's, we're already seeing that he's losing a lot of older voters who actually naturally were with him mm-hmm. because of his handling of the virus. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way that he's acting himself by putting so many others, people who probably don't have as good health care as he does, which would be everybody. Right. At risk, I think, I think people really see that. I mean, the way that I stay hopeful is that I see something like that and I get to work. Yeah. Like, I am so conflicted right now every single day as I'm sure that you are, as every working mom is, mm-hmm. how much attention do I pay to my kids and how much attention do I spend towards working right. and how much attention do I spend, like, do I have any extra energy to be caring about this election, to be taking action? And what I did after the debate is that something I've been talking about doing is setting up like a regular night to make calls and to swing state voters, like just mm-hmm. to get my friends to all do it together. Mm-hmm. And I'd kind of been dragging my feet. Like my baby keeps getting a fever because she's teething and is crying. And like my kids are not adjusting well to like the pod format. Yeah. You know, like all of those things kind of kept taking priority. And when I saw the debate, I was like, all right, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. This is what we're doing. So like I spent the debate texting all of my friends who lived in swing states and being like, hey, have you registered yet? Did you get your ballot yet? Like, what's your plan for voting? And then send out an email the next morning that was like, guys, let's make calls together because I need to put nervous energy somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So can you just list for us now the swing state so people can know if they're in one to get out there? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So kind of the classic swing states is Pennsylvania, Ohio, Florida, Wisconsin, Michigan. And then this year, there's a bunch that have been kind of lean Republican that are swinging more. So North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, Northern Maine, Second Directional District of Maine, New Hampshire. And I think those are all of them. But if there's any more, I'll tell you. So you said those, those last ones you just mentioned skew Republican, but they're swinging Democrat. So yeah, so now, oh, Texas. Oh God, how did I forget Texas? Don't mess with Texas, man. Can't forget Texas. So those are states that are kind of more on the map now. Actually, Iowa as well. Mm -hmm. States that are really considered swing states. Uh, And I think that places that Trump is looking to gain ground would be Minnesota in particular and New Hampshire. And now a word from our brand partner. So throw some bedding on a bunch of different mattresses and sure, they all look alike. The same kind of goes for pillows, you know, but peel away all the layers, look what's inside and you'll see that they actually aren't all created equal. And that's what makes every purple pillow and mattress unlike anything you've ever slept on. The purple grid sets the purple mattress apart from every other mattress. It's a patented comfort technology that instantly adapts to your body's natural shape and sleep style. With over 1,800 open-air channels designed to neutralize body heat, purple provides a cooling effect other mattresses can't replicate. Timmy absolutely loves this cooling effect. For him, his ideal sleeping scenario is just to be as cool and cold as possible. So for any of you guys out there that like that too, which I'm sure most of you do, I mean, who wants to be in like a sweaty, warm situation? And it's actually best for you to be in a cold situation. You have to check out Purple. 
their cutting edge technology doesn't just stop with mattresses either. Every purple pillow is engineered with the grid for total head and neck support and absolute airflow. So you're always on the cool side of the pillow. Didn't you grow up just like always turning over your pillow for the cold side? Oh my God. Purple's proprietary technology has been innovating comfort for over 15 years years. You can try every Purple product risk-free with free shipping and returns. And Purple has financing available as low as 0% APR for qualified customers. Experience the Purple grid and you'll sleep like never before. Go to purple.com slash wit10 and use promo code wit10 for a limited time. You'll get 10% off any order of $200 or more. That's purple.com slash wit10. 10. Promo code WIT10 for 10% off any order of $200 or more. Terms apply. Hey everybody, Gabby Reese here. Please join me for my show where we're going to be talking about all things self-care. And I don't mean just eating and exercise. I'm talking stress, marriage, relationships, parenting, business, transitions. How do we figure out a way to be our best selves each and every day? So whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen, please join me. If you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. And now back to our conversation. In the past couple months, as you've been looking into the swing states, what are some of the prominent findings? People want to vote. Their rules are changing. And so in many states, they're going to be able to vote in person more than they were before. And in some states, they're allowing people to mail in ballots, like mail in votes. Right. they had before, but people are like, they really, really want to vote. They're just a little confused about how to do it. There's very few swing voters. Like there's not that many people that aren't sure how they feel about the two presidential candidates. Mostly it's a referendum on Trump, Um, but there's not that many people that aren't sure how they feel about them. It's a matter of if they care enough to be going through all the hurdles to show up to vote. Your level of passion, and if it feels like a protest to not engage because the candidates don't really excite you, your rights are going to be on the line either way. So that's everything from, are you going to be able to access health care? Are you going to be able to access birth control? Like, I'm not even just talking about abortion. Like, birth control is going to be on the line. Are you going to be able to access clean water? Are you going to be able to access an immigration law that is helpful to your family that can actually get them on a path to citizenship. Mm -hmm. All of those things are going to be on the line because they already have been on the line, right? right? Like the administration has actually been quite clear about their priorities. They want to, and they currently are actually still trying to invalidate the Affordable Care Act, which will get rid of many people's healthcare plans and, and drive costs up. You know, they're they're very clear about what their priorities are. There's an Instagram account called Settle for Biden, which is run by young ex-Sanders and Warren supporters. Their view is we need to basically settle to get Trump out. Do you agree that this is how Democrats should be looking at this? I sort of feel, I'm being totally 100% honest with you. I sort of feel like I'm settling. I trust in him and I believe that he he's completely capable. Do I think that there is someone else out there better suited? Maybe, but I have to admit that I, I'm kind of on that wavelength. Yeah, I think that's okay. Look, you don't have to fall in love with every single aspect of him. 
from what I know from working in Washington is that everybody who's ever worked for him loves, loves, loves him. That says he's the greatest guy. He, He is who he says he is, that he's just a really good guy. And I think that a lot of people, me included, were hoping that this was going to be like a break the glass ceiling moment for a nominee. We felt that way with Barack Obama. I felt that way about Hillary Clinton. I was very excited to have a female president. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people were, feel a little disappointed and therefore feel like they're settling. But, you know, this is a moment where we just kind of need to to get through. And the fact is that he's always shown that he does listen to people around him. He is working with Sanders, with Warren on his platform, and will install a lot of really interesting, thoughtful, progressive people in the cabinet. And the executive office of the presidency has a ton of power beyond just the president. I feel excited for Harris because I think that, again, as just it's promising and exciting for me as a woman to know that this is possible. What are some of like the main things we should know about her? I love that she's a baller, to be honest with you. Like, I love that she just comes in unapologetically and is like, here I am and I know my shit. Like the reason that she had so many breakout moments in the media over the last couple of years was in her role in the Senate when she was grilling witnesses because she knows what she's talking about and she's unapologetic about it. And I really, really respect that. I love that she is a champion for women. I love that she is a champion for women of color. She's going to bring that perspective to the Biden-Harris administration that that Biden wouldn't normally have on his own. And I like that he's a person who will listen to her. Women, obviously, especially are fearing their future after the loss of RBG. And many of our rights could be affected if Barrett replaces her. I find this so important for us to talk about because this is you know, something that really hits my core. Can you share what rights these are for those who don't know and what message you can share with concerned women? Well, a lot of the rights, I think we talk about directly through the Supreme Court. Yes. um, Because that's, I think, the clearest because we have just lost RBG. The nominee for her seat feels quite differently than her on a lot of issues, Um, not just about abortion, which she says that she would abstain on, but she subscribes to some kind of strange handmaiden religious sect, which by the way, you should look up. Like I'm not just using the term handmaiden. That's actually from her religious sect. Okay. And the anti-choice community has been gunning for many, many years to try to find both a justice that would overturn Roe v. Wade and limit access to reproductive rights um, and have building the cases. So they, what they've been doing is they've been enacting laws in states that are so restrictive of access to reproductive care that it would get challenged all the way up to the Supreme Court to then have an opportunity to overturn it. And that's happening all over the country, particularly Louisiana, Texas, you know, had cases that went all the way up mm-hmm. and are kind of hanging on by a thread. So it's reproductive health definitely will be on the chopping block, Um, but it's more rights than that as well. It's the ability to know if you have equal pay in your office. It's the ability, you know, there's so many other rights. I mean, the justices that are currently on the court came out with writing last week saying they're looking to overturn the marriage equality ruling from the Supreme Court. So they actually like to overturn it and are looking for, for a case to be able to do that. So those are the rights that are pretty clear to us that have been articulated by the Supreme Court that we now have and enjoy. But there's so many more rights that also are through the executive office of the presidency that end up trickling down. I mean, it's everything from in healthcare, making sure that you don't pay more for your insurance because it covers maternity care, Right. right? Like it's making sure that your contraceptive, like your birth control remains covered by your insurance plan. 
Like it's so many more things that are within the realm of the executive office that I think we don't even necessarily realize are in the office of the presidency, uh-huh. but we're used to them as being part of our lives. And suddenly we could, we could turn around and realize they're not there. But I mean, really the thing on the Supreme Court, I actually, I mean, this whole thing is so Shakespearean because it turns out that the announcement of her becoming the nominee was in the Rose Garden. Everybody, was the super spreader event, right? Was the super spreader event. I mean, this is bananas. Like, you I, mean, I mean, the Senate says they are moving forward with her confirmation. What people can do is they can call their senators, call the Senate office. I actually did it yesterday. Yeah. And call and say, I would like the senator to wait until after the president's elected. Like, I think it's a pretty reasonable thing to say. And I think that people are a little nervous to call Senate offices. And I can tell you, it's actually not scary at all. Yeah. Do they just record it and then they, that then it's up to the senator how much they want to listen, right? Yeah. What they'll do is they'll tally up the amount of calls they get for and against. So either it's a recording uh-huh. or if a person picks up, it's either an intern or someone who's just out of college and their entire job is to be polite to you and take your opinion and tally it. Right. So the senators and and members of Congress really do care. If they get like a ridiculous amount of calls against something, it'll really make them think twice about voting for it. Okay. It really does that. Well, that's I'd say that's particularly true um, if you live in South Carolina, calling Lindsey Graham there. Um, If you live in Iowa, calling Senator Joni Ernst. If you live in North Carolina, calling Senator Tom Tillis. Because those are all senators that serve on the Judiciary Committee that oversees judiciary judges. Uh Um, And so they're going to be the committee that's going to manage the Supreme Court nominee moving forward. So calling those offices in particular and saying, hey, give give it a halt. Right, right. With all the voting fraud conversation, is it better to vote in person or by mail if you have the ability to do both? I would do in person. Okay. I would do in person if you can. And I would do it as early as possible. I think there's a big misconception about voting early that you can only do it if you're going to be out of the state on election day. And that's actually not true. Most states have now opened up early voting so you can vote in person before election day just because you want to. Right. So it won't be the polling place you'd gone to before just because there's fewer of them. There's like one per neighborhood generally. Okay. So you can find that information about your polling place at vote.org. I found out where my early voting place is at vote.org. Okay. And in some states, if you've already requested an absentee ballot to vote by mail, you might actually have to bring it with you. Okay. So I would check your state's um, your state's voting requirements there. So I just want to actually clarify about that, that it's not that voter fraud is actually a problem. Okay. It's actually like a zero problem. Okay. I think it's, the amount of voter fraud is 0.00007 or something insane like that. Like there's basically no voter fraud by mail. Yeah. But not just Trump, but the Republican Party has been talking about it for a couple of years and Trump has magnified it so much. Right. What I'm worried about on election night is that a lot of Democratic voters will have voted by mail and those votes aren't going to start getting counted until the end of election day. Right which means the people who were leaning Republican will, like, will, are less concerned about COVID, getting COVID in the polls, uh-huh. will show up on election day and vote. So the votes that will get totaled on election day will be a lot of Republican right. votes. I see what you're saying. And there's going to be all these outstanding mail ballots that are Democratic votes right. that aren't going to get counted until the end of election day. Okay. So it's going to look like as these votes are coming in, the vote totals will change, start trending Democratic. Uh-huh. And because this doubt has been sowed in people's minds about voter fraud and mail, then there's, it's going to start to be questioned. 
So for me, I initially, I thought I was going to vote by mail. And so I requested an absentee ballot. Same. But then the more I thought about it, I decided I wanted to vote in person when early vote starts. Okay. So I have my absentee ballot and I'm going to bring it with me when I go to vote in person. Okay. So you'll vote early. When can you vote? In New York, you can start on October 24th. Okay. So I'm going to go first day. My husband and I are voting together. It's like kind of what counts as a date these days, I guess. You yeah. got a sitter. <laughs> you can make it fun. It will be a big moment. It'll be a moment whether it's fun or not. But yeah, yeah we're going to go vote early in person together. It's not enough for people to say that they're only one vote and that their votes can't change or decide anything. Like, can you explain why that's false? Because I feel like a lot of people feel that way. Totally. And I get it. Like you feel like one person in this great, huge country. Right. So after the 2016 presidential election, you may remember people were feeling like, I can't believe this is the outcome that we have because Hillary Clinton actually won by 3 million votes. Well, the reason that happened is because we have an electoral college, mm-hmm. which means every state has a certain number of votes towards the electoral college. Like you vote for the way that your state is going to vote. Okay. And so I'm from New York. New York generally votes Democratic, right? So that's why people feel like, oh, my vote doesn't matter there. But in those couple of states that swing every time, in those Ohios, in those Floridas, in those Wisconsins, there's so few votes that actually change the state. Between, there were three states that basically swung the Electoral College for Trump the last time, and that was Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. And that was just 77,000 people in over three states. That's really not very many. Not very many at all. So imagine all the people that feel like they can't make change, like that many people if they actually went out and voted. I mean, I'm not into college football, but that's like smaller than a college football stadium, right? (laughs) I really do not know. I think, I think those like big, huge ones. But I mean, in Virginia recently, the control of the state government in Virginia was split between Republicans and Democrats. And so it all came down to this one seat and it was split. And they ended up deciding control, like Republican or Democratic control by flipping a coin. No, stop it. Yes. And because the Democrats won, they were able to then pass all of these different things they'd had a lot around healthcare. But they literally flipped a coin. So how does it feel like we need to get rid of this system? Like it doesn't seem like it's truly representative all the time of what everybody wants. Yeah. I mean, to me, to me, it feels crazy yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Like I want to live in a place where my vote counts even more. A hundred percent. Just Not because worse. like it should count the amount that it should count. Yes. The top of the um, democratic agenda is democracy reforms. It was already passed through the House in the last Congress. Just to be able to make it a little bit more like one person, one vote across the board, like, which means, you know, not as much of a weighted system around, I can't remember the Electoral College in there exactly or not, but like those kinds of things that make it feel like not that democratic. But there was a lot of democracy reforms, which I think in past years had maybe felt like, let's get policy priorities, you know, maybe like climate, maybe like healthcare through Congress when we have control and then do democracy reforms later. But I think there's been a real awakening to the fact that democracy reforms have to be number one. Like people really have to see the impact of their one vote and their one civic activism. Right. Right. It's representative of so much more. Do you feel like early election predictions work? Like where is the data coming from and how does every news source seem to have a different poll? Like I feel right now, like I don't know exactly who to listen to or... Yeah, I don't love polls, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the polls told us last time that Hillary was going to win and obviously... 
that did not happen. Oh, they were up at like 90% or something, right? Like obviously there's all sorts of biases go into that goes into polling, like who responds to a pollster, right. who picks up. They do more online now of answering of questions, but still, I don't know. I don't love polling. I feel like I want to always act like I'm five points behind. Right. You know, like I want to bust my ass for a campaign and act like I'm not leaving any any effort on the table, which means that I'm making sure that I have a voting plan. Like I know how I'm going to vote. It means that I'm asking all of my friends to make sure that they have time in their schedule to vote. Mm -hmm. And it means that I'm going to either work for a campaign or I'm going to pick up the phone and call swing voters. Right. Voters and ask them what their voting plans are. Phone banking is, I think, less scary than people think it is. It's calling voters and just reminding them to vote, asking them their voting plan. Um, I think people are worried they're going to just start like randomly calling people and get into arguments. That actually doesn't happen very often. Yeah. <laughs> you can also start with text banking, which is the same thing. It's texting voters. The campaign will provide a list for you and you'll do it through their system. So you're also not like, it's not like your phone number is like showing okay. up Okay. And can you do just like a mass message to all of the numbers that they send you or do you have to do a one-by-one -one situation? You have to do it one-by-one. One. Okay. Um, otherwise, you're considered a spammer. Okay. So you okay. have to do it. You have to do it one-by-one. One. But if you do want to go through and do your contacts of people who live in swing states, I did that actually through the Biden app. I, that's how I found all my friends that live in swing states. So you can sign up and just make calls to people. One of the things that's really important for campaigns is to understand who's actually going to vote for them so that they funnel their energy into making sure that people actually know where to go on election day, when it's open, they've thought through how to get there. The reason I keep sort of talking about like the idea of like a voting plan and thinking it through is yeah. How many things do you get to that you don't plan? Right. If you don't plan it, I mean, right. I can't get to the grocery store if I don't think through the steps. So, making sure that you've really thought about it in advance and started to ask the people around you what their plans are, so they're starting to think about it too, is going to be critically important. So, we're being told that it could be months after the election before we know who's president. That's obviously so many more months of worry and fear and uncertainty. What are some of the things you feel like in? politics right now that are giving you hope? Well, the thing that's always driven me that I see now more than ever is that people care and they're fighting for the democracy. Mm -hmm. They're fighting for their rights. They're not giving up. They're just not like giving into the system and they're engaging in ways that they never have before. Right. Which really gives me a lot of hope. I mean, after the 2016 election, my job was to take all of the assets that we had. I was living in Washington at the time. So I worked for a large think tank. Mm -hmm. So to kind of turn all of our assets and make them available for people who were new organizers. Because all of these people after the 2016 election were like, oh my God, my vote does count mm -hmm. or my neighbor's vote counts or I should be paying more attention. And so all of these people were like excited and we're calling their members of Congress, we're showing up to their town halls, we're tweeting at them, we're holding them accountable in ways they've never been held accountable before. But they didn't really know where the resources were to go. Yeah. So my job was to kind of like get them all resources and make sure they felt like they had enough to keep them going. Right. And that was just unbelievable. I mean, it was exhilarating. I'm sure. Like it was so exciting to find people who found their voice. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that I feel like I see more than ever now that people are organizing their neighbors and having conversations and like having like voting buddies. Like, I love that. And so that keeps me excited. Yeah. I mean, this is the most involved I've definitely ever gotten. And I'm 35 years old. Like I've been able to vote for a really long time, but this feels like the most important election that we've ever had. What do you feel like changed for you? 
I think being a mom, I think being a mom and feeling like this, this man is doing so much damage that it can affect like my child's life and rights. It's, it's too heartbreaking for me. I think it took me having a kid to like step outside of myself a little bit and have empathy for how this was going to affect someone else. And that feels a little bit too little too late. I feel too old to be just getting into this conversation. But at the same time, like, what am I going to do? I I can't go back in time. I it, It's not really valuable for me to hold on to regrets. All I can do is move forward and hope that by having conversations like this, that we can actually make change because I really do believe in that. I'll tell you a funny story about people not necessarily feeling like they have a platform or like, you know, being able to like start too late. Yes. Is that for the last election cycles over 2018, um, I worked for an organization called Swing Left and I ran their celebrity engagement. So I worked with people that have like big platforms and figuring out how to engage them in swing districts. And so someone put together this like cocktail party. So I like went to LA and was like cocktailing it up and was like, Hey guys, here's how you make change. It was like, for me, it was totally surreal. And I started talking to somebody who has a very large following to their husband. And her husband said to me, well, what can she really do? She's not Taylor Swift. Remember Taylor Swift had just done that big Instagram post? Yeah. And I was like, well, I mean, I think she can still do quite a bit. Like, I think people would consider her to have quite a platform. And that was just so interesting to me that like people feel it on every level. Yes. So like they want to do something, but it feels intimidating and they're not sure if what they can do is enough. And the answer is what all of us can do is enough. Is there a good process you feel like we can use to keep our representatives accountable once they've been elected? Like... What do you recommend we citizens do beyond writing letters and calling reps to stay engaged beyond just the elections? We should definitely hold them accountable Mm -hmm. and know why they're there. We have so much more power than we realize. Generally, as a rule of thumb, the thing that takes more effort will have more impact. Mm -hmm. So if an organization sends you like a form letter to link to, to click through and it takes you like two clicks to send it to an office, it might not have a ton of impact. Mm -hmm. But if you pick up the phone and say, here's where I live in your state and here's why I care about this issue, that's going to have a lot of impact. Right. They should all be holding town halls where they come to the community and say like, here, do you guys want to talk to me? A lot of them don't, by the way. And that's a huge problem. And that's like a real deterioration of democracy. Mm -hmm. But if they have those town halls, you should go and like ask them the questions you want to ask them. They work for you. Right. So let them know that this is something that you care about. And even if you're not totally sure where they stand on an issue or what's going on about it, ask them. Yeah. Look, I care about clean air right now. My kid can't play outside. What are you doing about it? What's happening? Exactly. Like definitely holding people accountable is so important and not being afraid to ask the questions because no question is stupid. It just, I mean, something is so simple that my mom taught me. Like, if you don't ask, you don't get. And if you're not doing it, then the worst, just remember and think about this about voting too. The worst bully that you can possibly imagine and think of from elementary school is asking the question, is voting. Right. And so even if you're not totally sure, just cancel out their vote. Yeah. (laughs) Just cancel out their question. So right. So right. (laughs) As parents of young children, how can we go about starting to discuss this stuff with them? I mean, Sunny's three. I don't even know where I would begin. Have you started to have these conversations? 
We did, although we're probably maybe not in the norm, although maybe we are the norm. I mean, I want to do whatever you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A way that a teacher described it to me for kids our age, like three, that I thought was so helpful was thinking about it like concentric circles. So things that are like with me, so like things with them at the center of it, like what do you vote for? Like when do things win in your world? Then thinking about explaining like how rules are made, like what authority is, like what a president is, or even talking about how people start to vote and then joining the two, Uh so like joining those two ideas. And that was helpful in explaining it. The thing that I kind of went back and forth between was how much do I use the specifics about what's going on when I explain it? Right. But you know what? They're with us all the time. Like they hear everything we're talking about. Like I didn't realize that my kids knew until I started like connecting the terms with them. Mm -hmm. So my kids went to like a little pod camp this summer and it turns out their favorite insult at camp was, you like Donald Trump. No way. How old are they? My kids are four and two. It was like the worst insult they could possibly come up with. (laughs) (laughs) And if my seven month old was going to done it, she probably would have done it too. Oh my God, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so like they are listening. Yes. You know, they, they've heard us use the term. So giving them context. I mean, actually, when we drive back and forth to school, now we pass a house that has a very large Trump flag in front of it. And so my son asked me why it was there. And I said, well, they want people to know that they like Trump. And he said, but nobody likes Trump. He tweets. And I was like, well, I think that nobody you know likes Trump. But, you know, I explained why. And so I did explain to him the best that I could of why people might like him. And he said, well, why do people like Biden? And I said, well, you know, he wants to make sure that people's voices are included. He wants to make sure that there's fair immigration laws. He wants to make sure there's fair healthcare laws. But most importantly, that he listens to people. Mm-hmm. And that's important to me, mm-hmm. that he listens to scientists, he, but he also listens to regular people. And that's important to me. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm going to vote. My son seemed to like ponder that. That's really valuable. Tell us how everybody can find you. So you can find me on Twitter at MTSUS um, and my show where you have all of the information about voting, what states are voting early and when you can start voting is on Instagram at your presidential playlist. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. I, re- I really respect you for using your platform, for like being so vulnerable and asking all these questions. So really, thank you for doing it. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'd love to hear what you think and anything more or even less you'd want to hear about. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Whitney Eve Port, my website, WhitneyPort.com, and my YouTube channel, Whitney Port. Peace in the streets.